Let me begin by saying that everything that I'm about to highlight, all of it, are events that are happening on campus and all of the information is on our website at richfork.com. But again, let me remind you, you can also sign up for a weekly email on our website. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see on that homepage, you'll see a little spot that says, be added to our weekly email. Add that, put your email, and you'll get all of these updates. But let me give you a few of those highlights of things that are happening on campus. Uh, Rich Fork 101, which is an introduction to Rich Fork, takes place on February 13th. Uh, D Weekend, which is March 4th through the 6th for grades 6 through 12. It's $30. It is a huge event for our student ministry where where we will invite several other student ministries from our community to join us for worship, for teaching, uh, for an opportunity for our students to really connect. And I think this is so important. Um, We hosted this last year as one of our big events coming out of uh, a semi-lockdown from the year before, Uh, but even more so this year, a time for your students to reconnect, get back involved. So if you're watching this at home, Um, This one's not online. You've got to be here, be personal, and be a part of that event. Another one that is in person that none of the content will be offered online is our Homegrown Conference, March 18th and 19th. That is for parents of anybody who has kids, parents. Um, We want them to know your children, to know Jesus, to walk with Him, to live out His Word in faith. So how do we go about doing that? We're going to explore those and many other topics on that Friday evening and Saturday. Practical ways to disciple your children from birth all the way to young adults. Now, over that weekend, you'll hear some different speakers, um, be able to collaborate with some other parents, pray, learn, and worship. Now, here's one of the most important things. It's $15 per adult. So $30 for a couple, single parent, $15, or maybe only one parent can attend. That includes childcare and meals. Really? $15? That is too good to be true. I am so excited to hear one of our speakers for that weekend. His name is Sam Luce. Um, He'll be coming from New York uh, here to lead one of our sessions. Uh, I follow him and read a lot of his material. Looking forward to seeing and hearing him in person. Now, Several of those relate to our children or our students' uh, ministry, our family ministry. So I want to give you an important announcement. In our services in person this weekend, uh, we're going to be introducing the candidate that the elders and personnel committee are recommending for our church for our our open student ministry position. Our plan is to allow for our youth workers to spend time with him and his family. Then our parents uh, next weekend, the 13th weekend, introduce him to our congregation in upcoming weeks. Uh, an info sheet will be included in that email next week if you sign up for it. Uh, and we will have a business meeting on February 16th uh, to talk about that from our personnel committee, but also to review our 2021 uh, and all that information uh, on February 16th, that Wednesday evening. Then the following Sunday, We'll vote on this position and this person. Uh, Our start date for him is yet to be determined as he has to move. Um, So we'll be looking forward to all those things. Now, as you uh, continue to prepare, all that information is online. All that information can come to you. But let me just say, all of those things are on campus and in person. I just want to invite you that if you have kind of grown cold to being in person, 
um, that those are tremendous opportunities for you to step back into the room in person uh, and to continue to grow in your faith. Let's pray before we get started with our message today. God, thank you so much for allowing us to once again pause during our week, record the message, upload it and put it out there for people who uh, who have yet to step back in the room from this incredibly difficult two years. Some that do not have the capabilities of, they are shut in, they are um, physically unable to come, or may they, they may be traveling. Whatever the case is, God, we're so thankful that this opportunity is now available each week. God, thank you for your word. May we allow it to zoom in on us as we zoom in to a passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week I did something that I would highly recommend you doing from time to time. I took a trip down memory lane with some of my pictures. Now, I'm not talking about the trip down memory lane that most people take now, which means they're going to just scroll backwards or forwards and looking at the past 10 or 12 years on their phone. It's fine, but no, I went old school style. Now, uh, what does that mean? Not old school as in look at an album. I even went even more old school. It's not a photo album. I went looking at, at old pictures that I found in a shoebox. I mean, clearly the cheapest way to store your old pictures. Then I came across one picture from 1997. You'll see it on your screen. It's a picture from Colorado. Um, this was prior to my time serving at Rich Fork. I was in the mountains of Colorado on a student retreat. I was there working with my previous student pastor and helping them lead a discipleship weekend, much the same that we have here March 4th. Uh, I'm not in the picture, so if you keep looking for me, I'm not there. But I keep this picture and several others from this trip for a reason. And it's not necessarily, I don't keep it because you can zoom in and just look at the picture, but I keep this picture because if you flip it over on the back of this picture, their names, Heather, Charlesy, Christy, and Charlie. And there's a date, January 20th, 1997. Now this picture was taken with a solid, dependable, 24 picture wind up disposable camera. I had the pictures developed on the way back to the airport at a Kmart. This sermon is all 90 so far, right? Kmart, one hour photo, disposable camera, shoebox photos. But this picture represents a trip. It represents a moment that turned out to be one of the most important moments of my life. At this point in our lives, Emily and I, we are in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm less than a year away from graduation and we had served in several capacities at a couple of churches and it was really time to narrow down our direction of ministry. But I promised myself and I verbally made a deal with God, one-sided, of course, on my end, that I would do anything except student ministry. I don't really know why at the time I was so against it because I, I love students and I love pizza, two basic requirements. But I'd close my heart to that direction completely. But it was on this trip that no matter how much you zoom in on this picture, you don't see the importance. But it's on this trip that God softened my heart 
honestly broke my heart. And I intentionally wrote down the names of these students on every one of the pictures that God used to lead me into the craziness of student ministry. You see, if you zoom in on the front, there are no names. They're just random faces to you. But to me, it's a moment that has names. It's personal. Those names have great meaning. And I'll forever be grateful for that experience. So today I want to take you to a moment that is extremely personal in Luke 10. The moment where the people have names. The interaction is seemingly more personal, deliberate, and even causes some conflict. But before we get to that moment, let's backtrack quickly. Week 1. Two weeks ago, Luke 10, 1-24, through 24, we watched... Jesus zoomed in, not on the miracle moments alone, but on the foundational truth that his followers would need in times of trouble and in times of difficulty. Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Zoom in, rejoice in what matters the most, a life-saving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a a statement that is not merely for this series. It's for our lives. They hang in the balance of answering that question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Where does that relationship begin? We see it. Surrender. Acknowledging our sinfulness. Acknowledging our need for a Savior. Transferring our trust and belief from ourselves to a trust in the Lord who offered us eternal life and through the teacher that Jesus is entered, that Luke introduces to us, Jesus. Jesus, who became a payment for our sins while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Week two, we built upon that foundation. We didn't leave it. We built on it. When we walked through the story of the Good Samaritan, verse 25 through 37, and while the Good Samaritan teaches us a lot about mercy, Jesus lays it out that if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, then we are compelled to dispense mercy on those around us. Our zoom in from last week was our personal relationship with Jesus compels us to have mercy-filled relationships with others. The focus was upon our hearts, our actions, our becoming the neighbor to those in need. Instead of limiting our mercy, it was that our mercy becomes limitless. The question I've heard that we pose that some of you have been wrestling with this week, and so have I, was this one. Do others view me as a dispenser of mercy Or judgment. Jesus modeled mercy. We claim to have freedom in and through Jesus, therefore, we are to pour out mercy, never abandoning our principles. And this is the delicate balance, is it not? But we are are we known for our mercy or for judgment, built upon our relationship to Jesus? Now, this week. We come to a story that if we were able to take a snapshot and 
make a quick read, we might miss some of the moments, the wording, the implication, even the abrupt ending. But the promise that Jesus gives in these passages, they are so worthy of us zooming in upon. Now, there's a significant difference. I've already told you. There's a big difference in this story, something that is important to zoom in upon. This story has names. Mary and Martha. This story is going to be even more personal. Not that the other stories weren't, but in Luke 10 earlier, he says the disciples, no names. The 72, no names. The lawyer, no name. He does not call them by name as he does Mary and Martha. Luke includes this for us. So let's zoom in and how this moment impacted both the women in this moment and in their future, but also a challenge for us today. Let's pick up and read in Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. A familiar story for many of us. But Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way. What we know from our past few weeks is that they was probably not a reference to only Jesus and a couple of disciples. When Martha invites the crew into her home, it's more likely that there's Jesus, some or all of his disciples, some of the 72 referenced in Luke 10 is as well as some onlookers and those who simply want to keep following to see miracles. I did some searching and tried to find, find some artist renderings of this moment. And in my eyes, based on the context, they're unrealistic. Poor. You see, I don't imagine a nice little living quarter sipping their tea or their coffee or their chai while they listen to Jesus. You know, the modern coffee shop vibe. I don't picture that to be, this moment to be that calm. I picture a little bit of chaos. Lots of people. A lot of company to care for. And Martha did the inviting, but with full expectation that sister, her sister Mary would help, but Mary's sitting. This is a serious lapse of judgment from Mary, according to Martha. This is a male-dominated culture. The men would have been in discussion with Jesus the women would care for the group. The men were educated, not the women. The men would have the opportunity to listen to the rabbi teach, not the women. This was the culture 2,000 years ago. I'm so thankful that when Jesus Christ came, he raised the significance of women and every culture that he entered, he gave hope to those who previously had no voice. He displayed mercy to all. But as Luke records, in this moment, 2,000 years ago, Martha is doing everything that she knows 
But verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, I'm honest in the story. I'm a Martha. I like to get things done. Around Christmas, some of my family, some meant 25, came to a family gathering at our home. We were excited to host, and thankfully the weather was awesome. A few days after Christmas, 60 plus degrees for most of the evening in December in North Carolina. So we were outside for most of it. And I was working hard to cook on the grill the entire time. I didn't mind. But a few days later, we were discussing that night, and my wife said, well, did you see this? Did you hear this conversation? Oh, it was so good to catch up with your family. Did you know? And I kind of paused and looked at her. My reply was, nope. I I, I was in the go mode. Get things done mode. I wanted to make sure they were fed. I wanted to make sure the fire pit stayed going, that they had wood, that all the details were taken care of. But what I missed in the moment were some of the relationships. Now, not only is it my nature to serve, but at times the responsibilities in my path on a given day just create chaos. It happens to me. It happens to you. Before I know it, lunch is coming, gone. The schedule is packed. And then what do I usually do? Yeah, I'll add something else to it. I wonder, as I'm sharing that with you, is there anybody watching that's like me? Anyone else that gets a tad distracted by the chaos of life? And not only distracted, at times I become devoted to the distraction. I commit to it. I sign up for it. I carry it. Back to Martha. She's distracted. She's frustrated. But she is bold. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. We know that Martha's the host. We know she desires to serve. We also know she is not afraid to speak her mind. Martha is not simply asking for help. She is desiring for Mary to respond the way that tradition demands. Mary needs to get in here, help me serve the guest. She's basically saying, yeah, Jesus, tell her what's what. Get her to get in here, help me finish the casserole, put out the hand towels in the bathroom, rinse off the extra dishes that we grabbed out of the cabinet that never get used except for when somebody, well, when Jesus comes. Zoom in with me. Hear that statement. Tell her to help me. Notice her boldness in defending her distractions. Jesus responds, okay. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are troubled, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Not going Martha's way, is it? Jesus says her name two times. This signifies attention, importance, intentionality. Martha, Martha, you are anxious 
This is an inward fear, a worry. Will my preparations be enough for Jesus? Will he like the food? Will the guests want to come back? Is there enough seating? Zoom in with Jesus here. He says, you are anxious and troubled. This is the idea of being responsible for many things at one time. She's literally juggling it all. Amen. I get it. Anxious and troubled. Zoom in on that phrase. Anxious and troubled about many things. This is an inward worry, a fear, but an outward juggling of it all. Jesus summarized the past two years for us in a sentence. You are anxious and troubled about many things. For me, it probably looked different than you, but anxious and troubled, will they be upset at me about my decision? Will they? Is this the best decision for the majority? Is this the best decision for the community? Did I say it right? Did I communicate it right? For you and your home, there's the daily anxious and troubled. Get the kids to school, off to work, work from home. Snow changes it all. Oh, and by the way, anxious and troubled because you had a resolution January 1st to lose weight. Never mind, it's February. That's already over. We've already abandoned that one by now. And now we're coming back to volunteering at church and taking care maybe not of kids, but of grandkids. And we've got doctor visits and can we go? What can we go? Where can we go? Listen to this definition of anxious or anxiety that I read this week. Anxious and troubled. A fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. Let me read that again. A fearful concern experienced when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. Again, we've gone from 72 to the disciples, to the lawyer. Now the interaction is on two people, Martha and Mary. The majority of us, if we would admit it, we're Martha's and we would defend it. Does this mean we should never serve? No. Is Martha's service inherently sinful? No. Is Martha's service to others needed? Yes. Her actions are important, but the reality, when you zoom in, Jesus is summarized, or Jesus is summarizing in this, mar- in this moment, Martha has chosen distraction over devotion. And she's going to defend it. What about us? When we listen to a sermon such as this one, which is going to conclude with, are you spending time with Jesus? Then, what we will do, initially, I will, because I did it in preparation. I begin defending my distractions, justifying them. If I, don't, if, I, if I don't stay an extra two hours and finish this sermon or finish this message, it won't get done. Maybe that's just a sign that we live in an anxious and troubled society. I know, Pastor, but the kids, we... We've got to have them signed up in every activity known to man. It's just what we do. True. In an anxious and troubled society. Or I I don't have time. 
my daily schedule is packed. Finding time for a quiet time, even figuring out, even if it's physically possible to get back in the flow of attending a service in person because I can stay home in my pajamas. It takes less time. I don't have to drive. I don't have to have conversation. I can squeeze in something else even while I'm watching. This sounds like a recipe right out of the anxious and troubled kitchen of Martha. Or, I'm not distracted. But, but there's, there's not a chance I can wake up earlier. I'm not obsessed with my distraction, but I can't wake up earlier. For some of you that get up at 4 a.m., that might be very true. But I know for me, when the game on is late at night, the night before, I can stay up for that. But that is not distracted. That's my hobby, right? That's how I disconnect. I get it. I do it. Last Sunday, for the first time in what seemed like forever, I preached three times on that Sunday morning. And by 3 p.m., it was time to shut it down. But two football games later, during the second, it might have been a little more justified. I was emailing about things for work on Monday. But this was my justifying away the opportunity for to pause, to truly rest, to surrender to Jesus. Listen, I could choose a million distractions. But most of them without rest, without disconnect, without time with Jesus will lead me right back around to my table of one at anxious and troubled. We are bold in our defense of our distractions. But we are easily swayed from our devotion to Jesus. We are bold to defend our distractions, but we are easily swayed in our devotion to Jesus. That's the difference. Jesus is going to say, I'm going to highlight the better way. Martha's serving is good, but Mary has chosen the good, the better portion. Jesus is not saying, Martha, you're bad. He's saying that Mary has chosen the better of the two. Mary has chosen, Scripture says, Mary has chosen the good portion. So what has she chosen to do? She has chosen in the middle of all the distraction and all of the must-dos of culture, of the day, of the moment, to sit the feet of Jesus. To listen to His teaching. To grow from the parables. A choice has been made. Devotion over distraction. Can't you see this picture? Mary's not panicked. She's completely content. This devotion to Jesus, it's intentional. Her devotion to Jesus is not phased by the circumstances. Her devotion to Jesus is beautiful. It's pure. So zoom in. Will you, will I, will we choose devotion over distraction? I love this statement from Kevin DeYoung in weighing devotion over distraction. He says, we won't say no to more craziness until we can say yes to more Jesus. We will keep choosing dinner rolls over the bread of life. We will choose the fanfare of the world over the feet of Jesus.
we will choose busyness over blessing. Why? Because it's what we do. It's what our society pulls us towards. But Jesus says even more. To complete the sentence of verse 42, what does Jesus say? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I bet I read these verses 20 times in preparing for this week before I read the last phrase and it grabbed my heart, which will not be taken away from her. It's there. It's implanted. Devotion is preparing her. Devotion prepares us for our daily walk in this dark world. It's not just something we do. It's something that prepares us. Distraction takes us into the next day just as exhausted as the one before. But devotion prepares us. It recenters us back to the relationship that feeds us, that calms us, that prepares us. But let me read it again. Let's zoom in. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Why and when would that statement become important? There's another moment where Mary and Martha have an interaction with Jesus that's recorded in Scripture. It's not recorded in the writing of Luke. Rather, the Gospel according to John. Another eyewitness of Jesus who documents his time with Jesus. So I've got to take a quick leap into this story. But let me summarize the moment in case you don't know it. Mary and Martha... They have a brother. His name is Lazarus. Obviously, out of our Luke 10 moment and possibly others, they had become friends with Jesus. But by the time we read in in John chapter 11, Jesus, he receives word from uh, the community that Lazarus is sick. But Jesus is out traveling. And at one moment, while traveling, he declares to his disciples, our friend Lazarus, not one with them, but back In the other town, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'll go waken him. Don't you love that? He sees into the future. They literally thought, Scripture records for us, that Jesus thought or was saying he's sleeping, he's taking a nap, but Jesus meant he was dead. So they arrive back to the area where Mary and Martha and Lazarus had been and Lazarus has died. He's been in a tomb for four days, Scripture says, Martha hears Jesus is approaching and she does what you would imagine Martha doing. Verse 20 of John chapter 11. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha and Jesus have this moment of truth about life versus death. She's unable to grasp the the depth of what is about to happen as any of us would. But in the end of their interaction, Martha and Jesus, Jesus claims and says, I am the Christ, the Son of God that you've been waiting for. The kingdom has come. And then something happens. But don't let me lose you. Don't forget back in Luke 10. Don't forget that back in Luke 10, at the feet of Jesus, 
Jesus makes this statement and is recorded. Mary has chosen the good portions which will not be taken away from her. Now take this idea all the way to this moment. She's grieving. Her brother has died. He's been in the tomb. This moment in Luke 10 is really going to influence her forever. It's going to fit into her life as a perfect piece of a puzzle in John chapter 11. At this moment, Mary's in the house. She's grieving her loss. Martha comes to her. Verse 28, John chapter 11. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. The teacher is here. The one that you sat at his feet, that he said you've chosen the better portion, it will never leave you. He's calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. What a sweet, undefiled, powerful picture of a personal relationship with Jesus. Intentional, intimate, devoted relationship that began in the home while Martha worked at a fevered pitch. Mary sat, listened, trusted, surrendered, grew to know the love of Jesus. What a moment. How that ministered to her in her pain. The teacher's here. And he's calling for you. Verse 30, John 11. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, same thing Martha said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The relationship Mary developed with Jesus was personal. Do you hear it? It's deep. It was a relationship that led to emotion. It was a relationship that led to a movement in the future. The good portion that never leaves you. So what prepares us most for this distracted world is devotion to Jesus. So how do we do this? A few small practical ways. Zoom in. Start small, yet intentional. If you don't have a time alone with God consistently, don't, don't begin on Monday morning or Sunday afternoon and say, I'm going to spend three, four hours per day, seven days a week. You will probably fail, get discouraged, and quit. Aim for a few moments a day, 15, 20, at least five days a week. Grab a great study Bible and a translation that you can grasp. We teach and preach from the... English Standard Version. If you've never read the Bible, start with the New Testament. The stories of Jesus. Zoom in. 
and perhaps with a psalm or a proverb. Download a, an app called YouVersion, the Bible app, and listen to Scripture in your rides to work rather than another distraction. Keep a notebook where you jot down observations. Ways that you need to apply the passage. The aim of your time is to meet with God through His Word in prayer and to apply it obediently to your life. Zoom in. Be intentional. Write down the important verse. Why is it important? How does it apply to me? What changes does it lead me to make? By spending time in God's Word, by praying honest prayers to God, by being alone, by listening to, to solid biblical teaching, by being in the presence of other believers, all of these help put us at the feet of Jesus. Zoom in. Make your time with Jesus personal. Be honest. Be real. Write out your frustrations. Search the scriptures that minister to your heart and know that the one that does not fade away that we see in Luke chapter 10 cannot be taken away if you have a relationship with Him. So now, the weight of these last three weeks is no longer upon us to zoom in on a couple of moments in Scripture. Now the weight is to ask you to allow Scripture to zoom in to you. Do you have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Does your personal relationship with Jesus compel you to have mercy-filled relationships with others? And are you willing to choose devotion over distraction? It's time. It's time for you to zoom in, to allow Scripture to take aim at your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, to compel us to love our neighbors, to choose devotion over distraction. It's time to allow Scripture to zoom in on you. Let's pray. God, today this word is personal. It's a Martha busy in the kitchen. It's a Mary at Jesus' feet. They're named. And those names reappear at one of the most important moments of their lives, one of the most difficult moments of their lives that turned into one of the greatest moments in Scripture in Lazarus coming out of the grave. But I love that when Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion and it can't be taken. It will not be taken away from her. It will not be removed. Remind us that our relationship with you is for this world and for eternity and it cannot be taken away. When we surrender to you, we give our lives to you in a relationship with you, a relationship that will compel us to show mercy and a relationship that will desire for us to choose being devoted at the feet of Jesus rather than continuing to defend our distractions. Thank you, God, for allowing your word 
even as we talked before we filmed this today, for allowing your word to zoom in and grab a hold of my words, my mouth, my temper, my impatience this week to prayerfully offer mercy. And God, may you continue to remind me through your word this week and others to zoom in, to allow your word to zoom into my life. It's personal. It's life-changing. It's a relationship. It's devoted. Thank you, God, for your word and it taking aim at us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've said numerous times, if you make a decision or you want to talk with someone, you can go to our website and you can scroll down and look for a first-time guest is a place that you can reach out to us. Give us a little bit of information, a little bit about what's going on in your life. Let us have that information so we can reach out to you, so we can help you as you allow God's word and your relationship to Jesus Christ to grow.